Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Dante, Anine, Boujou, hello and welcome. This is Unreserved. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. As Indigenous people, community is at the heart of who we are. For Indigenous entrepreneurs, that means not just making profits, but supporting and empowering others along the way. Whether it's res grannies selling their crafts at the powwow, or families making Indian tacos in their kitchens for the community, entrepreneurship today is an evolution of Indigenous life that has always existed. All the vendors that you see that are always uh, on the powwow trail, those are all entrepreneurs. And we're just sort of awakening to the idea of taking it the next step further. We want to be recognized and we want the opportunity to show our wares and have that equal opportunity to say, listen, we can do this. And chances are, we might even be able to do it better. The point of living in a community, I think, is to make sure that everyone is good, right? I mean, if you're not doing that, why are you here? Today, these Indigenous entrepreneurs are cultivating culturally rooted businesses. Creating your own business takes guts, determination, and tenacity. Long hours are spent getting your dream off the ground. You will overcome unseen obstacles and setbacks. But despite the challenges, entrepreneurship is on the rise in Indigenous communities. Sunshine Tenasco sees starting your own business as a tool for empowerment and self-sufficiency. But it goes beyond the individual. She also believes in collaboration over competition and is creating a community of Indigenous entrepreneurs across Turtle Island. Sunshine, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me today. How would you describe the Indigenous entrepreneurial scene right now? Yeah, it's really, uh, it's bumping right now. There's so much energy and vibes and there's a lot of hope in this space for us. I love that. Sunshine, why do you think there are so many Indigenous businesses popping up? I think there always has been uh, Indigenous businesses. You know, people used to have these like little pop-up shops in their house where they'd sell like chocolate bars or nachos or jalapeno poppers or bannock or whatever. It's just that now it's more visible because of social media. All the vendors that you see that are always uh, on the powwow trail, those are all entrepreneurs. And we're just sort of awakening to the idea of taking it the next step further. We are learning about branding. We are taking up space. So I think that's what's uh, really causing a a ruckus in this space um, in a positive way. But it's always been 
there. Mm. Um, part of your, uh, you know, um, thing to help entrepreneurs and, and people who might want to start a business is you started the powwow pitch in 2016. Tell me about uh, what that is. Yeah, it's it's a pitch competition for Indigenous entrepreneurs. I started my first business at the powwow like everybody does. I sold baby moccasins. And uh, what really changed my life was taking it on Dragon's Den. And that really shifted everything for me. And I was like, why don't we have more of this in Indigenous community, somewhere where Indigenous people feel safe? somewhere where they know the processes, somewhere, duh, out of power. That's where I, that's where everybody goes and tests their products. And they just don't call it that. They just don't say like, I am testing the products. They just go ahead and try it out. And if it catches, they they keep going. So that's sort of where uh, the roots of powwow pitch and it started uh, for funsies. I always say, I was just like, I want to do this. And now here we are um, eight plus years later and it's, it's for realsies. Mm. (laughs) And how does powwow pitch work? We show up at a powwow, we get between 25 to 40 Indigenous entrepreneurs who want to pitch. They have 60 seconds to pitch in front of a panel of judges. And then it's narrowed down to the top 10. They get mentored for a few hours. And then at the end of the day, we get to give away cash prizes. And then whoever wins uh, based on those powwows then goes on to the online version, which is across Turtle Island. And last year we attracted 2,400 Indigenous entrepreneurs. And then all these opportunities, we hope like, yes, it's awesome if we could get everybody to win. But we hope that even the process itself and the connections that you make and all of those other things, uh, we hope that everybody wins uh, in, in joining. Mm. And how, um, what does cultivating a culture uh, of entrepreneurship look like for you? Um, It's really been organic. It's really been just like, try it out, make the mistakes and listen to what our entrepreneurs are telling us. And then pivoting after that, that's really what our method has been. And I hope continues to still be because we're, you know, we were a startup too. So we're learning just alongside everyone else. Clearly, you've done a lot to to support and develop and, and help these people along hold them up um, in terms of starting their businesses and continuing them. Why have you dedicated so much of your work to helping other Indigenous entrepreneurs? For a lot of reasons, I think that's so um, layered, the answer to that. I, I always have this like this thing that I, I tell to Canadians uh, because Indigenous people get it, but not indi- non-Indigenous people are kind of like shocked by it. But, you know, if a white person goes on Dragon's Den, like the whole white community isn't going to be cheering for that person like at all. It's just going to be like, all right, let's see what business they have. And if it's good, you know, you may get a fan, you may not. But when an Indigenous person does something that is like, you know, sort of out of this world, like all the communities across Indian country cheer and post and share. And like, there's this whole, you know, explosion. And so I think that was really, really a part of it that I witnessed firsthand. And this was like, not when internet was so big as it is now, right? It really had an impact on the whole community. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm just one little human trying to like make this thing work. Imagine if 
we were able to go to like a few different communities and plant those seeds and then the impact of that and the impact of that and like everybody helps their communities that's how it works so that was sort of the idea behind it and you know i mentioned i i started it in person at a local powwow at the solstice powwow in ottawa and I thought it was just a one-off and I was just going to do it because I thought it was, it was going to be fun. And as soon as I was done that day, like I knew like, Oh frig, I have to do this again because of the impact that I felt it was making. Can you give me an example of, of when you've seen, you know, a business go from pitch to making um, differences in indigenous community? Oh my God, we see it every friggin' day. Like I, I often use the same, you know, I use the the bigger businesses, but I just because they're very much involved with how I'll pitch. But Michaeli Lazor from Sequoia, um, she went from pitching because she just wanted to rebrand her packaging. And now she has this workshop space. She employs so many people from the community. Um, and like, it's just the way that she does it. The way that she runs her business is so like the indigenous way. And it's been so slow, her progress that she'll say like, you know, it's taken over 20 years, but like watching that is like, you created something from nothing. That's friggin' magic. That's alchemy. <laughs> I like that. That's alchemy. Uh, you touched on this a little earlier. You had said that, you know, Indigenous people will get it when, you know, we we invest in our community and we support our community. Why do you think that is? What makes Indigenous-run businesses different from the mainstream? I, it's just the way we are all raised the idea of potluck or potlatch or however you want to call it the you know you go to a powwow there's the giveaway at the end there's the thank you there's the it's just like the way we naturally do things and when you have like I don't want I don't know what the best word is but like not a moral compass but like ways of being and living it's naturally gonna leak over into the way that you do business I really think that like Indigenous people, once we're all at the next level, collectively, like we are going to show we're, we're setting a precedent on how good business models look like and function. Mm. Let's uh, um, turn the focus a little to advice as, as somebody who's been doing this for a long time. What is there? What are some of the most important things that Indigenous people need to do or keep in mind when starting their own business? Yeah, just show up, be consistent. It doesn't have to be if you show up one day and it's your 20% and that's all you have in you. Hey, man, you just gave it 100%. That's if that's all you had and you gave it good for you show up again the next day. Mm. My path hasn't been the traditional like I just sort of went and who knows where it's going to take me really I just keep following it. Mm. Be open to the dream. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I'll put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Next business. Speaking of what is your, is your dream vision for, you know, the world of indigenous entrepreneurship in the next, you know, years, 10, 15 years. I'd love for there to be visibly public businesses. You know, like we go to the grocery store 
There's a Chinese section for food. There's a Mexican section for food. And there's no Indigenous section. You know, why are we not more visible? You know, just to be a part of that in a tiny way would be like, my dreams are, I'm good. Mm, That's a wonderful dream. How do you think, you know, supporting and seeing all of these Indigenous businesses and whether they're big or small, how does that uh, help Canada or or Turtle Island? What is the benefit on the other side of of the fence? Less ignorance, I would hope, on so many fronts. Uh, Education, equity, also, like, even traditionally, I always go back to this too, but like, you know, we were always told, like, there's going to come a day where non-Indigenous people are going to have to make a choice. There's going to be a path. And which path are you going to choose? Capitalism, things that are detrimental to Mother Earth, or are you going to choose slower, more sustainable ways, good ways of doing things? And we were always told that uh, Indigenous people were the people who are going to show the way and i'm i'm kind of surprised that business has been the way because i don't see you know what i mean like what a what a crazy way for my contribution to be like i would never have anticipated it to be in that area but but here we are Mm, and here we are (laughs) here we are sunshine thank you so much for your time today thank you for having me i really uh really enjoyed this conversation Sunshine Tanasco is an entrepreneur and author from Kitaganzibi and Anishinaabeg First Nation. This is Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. Today, business savvy Indigeni. Coming up. It's intrinsic to us as business owners. Without community involvement, there is no success. And there is no joy in what you end up doing. A panel of Indigenous entrepreneurs on the importance of community. But first, can coffee make a difference in Indigenous people's lives? Mark Marcelet Nawagabo thinks it can. He's the owner of Birch Bark Coffee, an organic fair trade coffee that he started in 2018. It's not your average cup of joe, and Mark is not your average business owner. Birch Bark Coffee is grown and produced by Indigenous farmers, and one of Mark's main missions for his business is to support communities in getting clean drinking water. He says this second oldest trade item can change the world for the better, no matter how you like your java. I've used pour-overs, espresso machines, just regular bun machines, and really, they all have their own place in the coffee world and give unique tastes. I mean, I'm a good old-fashioned pour-over, and I'm always a big fan of grinding the beans. It just, it, the aroma in your home just lights it up. My name is Mark Marcelin Nawagabo. I'm First Nations, Ojibwe to be exact. I'm a citizen and band member of Whitefish River First Nations located in the District of Manitoulin Island. And uh, I am the founder of a company called Birch Bark Coffee Company. And it is a social enterprise, uh, innovative social enterprise that's cause-driven with a pay-for-it attitude. And it's really about coffee making a difference. 
I was always concerned about the infrastructure issues we've had in our communities and I always wanted to try and give back in some way and probably about five years ago I happened to be invited to the Assembly of First Nations Water Symposium and it really, uh, while I knew of the issues in our communities, being in a meeting or in a, a big meeting such as that uh, really opened my eyes more to the problematic issues we had in our communities, not just about water, about everything, the infrastructures. And I went back home later in the week and I started uh, thinking about how, how I could make a difference. And, you know, I picked a commodity that's, you know, the second most sold product in the world, coffee. And, um, you know, part of it being a social piece where people talk and converse over coffee and tea, I thought, what a better way of bringing education, awareness, and a message out to people uh, through, the, through selling coffee. When I learn, and I'm still learning, about different historical pieces of our communities, and you know, when you look back when entrepreneurs started, really it was you know, First Nations people or Indigenous people that did a lot of trading and entrepreneurship way back when, especially the Mohawks. But I didn't realize uh, until last year that Indigenous people, First Nations people, when they were trading, uh, they were trade they were trading coffee, and uh, really, when they, you know, a lot of our traditional pieces or language really comes on what we observe and see, and they called it black medicine, and I really thought that was very interesting to learn, and so I dove deeper into that and really wanted to get. You know, to tell people that the historical pieces of coffee travel even with the First Nations communities, and it's not just other parts of the continent or other countries. It, it happened here in Canada, and uh, very fortunate. And there's many layers as to why I created this business. And really, we're storytellers, we're visionary people, and I incorporated all that into um, this business model that I had, so I could share the story of of our people passionately and. Uh, you know, offering a lot of gratitude as to having the, again, the opportunity to be able to share the stories of some of the concerns that we have, I have in our communities. Putting into perspective, I haven't um, cold called as a salesperson to anybody. People have come to me. It started off very slow in the sense of, you know, consumers and then mom and pop cafes. And then as we gained more momentum in the business uh, and it, Every interview I do, I always give thanks and praise to um, Shopify, so the owners, Tobias, uh, you know, Harley and Toby, for giving me the opportunity on e-commerce on Shopify, and that's where this all started. And, um, but that being said, yeah, some of the bigger companies, um, we've uh, collaborated with uh, Chapman's Ice Cream, a wonderful family that give back full-heartedly to all kinds of different programs and businesses and cultures and stuff and I was very fortunate to be asked to be part of the 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 new premium line so the cold brew ice cream and then uh, there's uh, Costco uh, I've been told that uh, I am the first First Nations coffee to go into Costco in Canada we have coffee with MLSE Entertainment so down at um, some of the restaurants in Toronto, uh, we're with most of the food services. So Compass Canada, Compass Group, uh, we're with Sodexo, Aramark, Brown's Food Services. So the extension of that is what they own, the coffee goes there. So a lot of the universities, colleges, 
we oh, and the other big one we just got into was uh, Northwest Grocers. So that's Northwest Territories and all the northern parts of um, of Ontario. That big company. Uh, I had an email sent to me with a picture from Baker Lake, and that was really cool because the uh, the husband and wife sent it, and they had so much snow that on their on their back patio door, it was halfway. The snow was halfway up their door, and they put a birch bark coffee bag on the outside on the snowbank, and took a picture of it and say, "Welcome to Baker Lake." So that was uh, that was pretty neat. Um, and the coffee's gone all over the world. It's gone to I've reached people in Thailand, England, New Zealand. It's it's been everywhere, and I've been. It's just been a really neat journey, and meeting a lot of cool people. You know, I always refer back to as an entrepreneur, your mind goes 100 miles an hour. And, you know, it's not that you're creating something new. It's just how can you do it better? And what I've noticed is that there's been a massive shift in, you know, the millennials and Generation Zs on, and I call it almost like my word for it is shift thinking, where they're starting to look at the value behind what they purchase. And they're looking at, uh, you know, oh, Okay, I, bu- I bought this product. Where does it come from? You know what? You know what's sustainable? What's ethical? And I think that uh, I can get into these corporations, and and basically influence their consumers to start thinking a better way, and start thinking about again sustainability, ethical purchases, and really, you know, challenging. Again, the way they think in, 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 their, in their own personal life, but also in their business life and just going forward on, on, on purchases and helping people. And I think that uh, that really ties into paying it forward as well. There's a lot of tradition that impacts our businesses and there's a lot of tradition that we follow or guiding virtues, if that's what you want to say, that you know that we use within our businesses to connect us. For some of us, anyway, for me, I guess I'll speak for me, is with the creator. Whomever the creator is for anybody, I have this piece where I smudge in the morning, and the smoke, you know, the smoke goes up into the sky and it goes to the creator, and, and it, that's my time to share my messages and questions, you know, with our creator, and and I think that. Our businesses are so important to learn from, you know, whether it's a a coffee company or if it's clothing or it's, you know, sustainable uh, cosmetics, each one of our companies you can learn from. Each one of them has a purpose. Each one of them has a message. Um, And we are trying to change the world for the better but we're also trying to leave good footprints behind us for the ones that follow. Mark Marsley, now a Gabo, is the founder of Birch Bark Coffee Company. You're listening to Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. This is a very strange and frustrating story. To have your family member stolen, murdered, 
then missing. I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. It's such a mystery, such an impossible task. Please, help us find her. Finding Cleo. If you'd like to hear more, you can find the full season wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. Up next, we've gathered a panel of three Indigenous entrepreneurs who dared to do things differently. They all started their own businesses to fill a void that the mainstream was missing because they wanted to create businesses that were better aligned with their values and the values of their communities. Jen Harper is the founder of Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics. She started it out of her basement in 2016. And now you can find her products in Sephora stores. Jen is Anishinaabe and a member of the Northwest Angle Number 33 First Nation in Kenora. Welcome, Jen. Hi. Patrice Musso started her business in her kitchen. She is the owner and creator of Satya Organics, which provides organic skincare products. The products are carried in over a thousand shoppers' drug mart stores across the country. Patrice is a member of Fort William First Nation. Welcome. Thanks, Rosanna. And Jeff Ward is the founder and CEO of Animiki, an Indigenous-led technology company that supports Indigenous businesses through website and software development. It's making its mark in a variety of sectors, from investment firms to the film industry to museums like the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg. Jeff is Anishinaabe and Métis. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, let's start with question number one. Uh, one of the other guests on our show this week had said that entrepreneurship isn't necessarily about creating something brand new. It's about doing things better. How would you describe how your business does things better? Let's start with Jen. Well, I hope we do things better. <laughs> I feel like we do. Um, and I think it's about when we look at how we source our raw ingredients to how we make and create our products and to how we work with our own team at Cheekbone Beauty. And so creating a company that literally exists, you know, to do good at the same time of doing business. I'm personally super proud of the enormous efforts we, we've undertaken to provide, which I love to call receipts for the, the hard work we've done, especially in our industry, in the beauty space greenwashing is enormously rampant. So one path we chose was to become B Corp certified company because we wanted a third party really vetting our supply chain and how we source products and how we bring them into the world. And Patrice? It's, you know, funny, Jen bringing up B Corp because we, we're about to get B Corp certified as well. And I'm assuming we're talking about the way Indigenous people do business versus like the mainstream Everyone talks about how difficult it is to become B Corp certified. Well, I'll tell you, we sailed through because we were already doing a lot of the stuff that these guys are now tracking, right? Things like paying living wages, giving back to the community, being aware of where our materials are coming from and where they're going, tracking all that kind of information. And I think that that's what Indigenous people inherently do right from the get-go is when we start our businesses, what we think about is not just ourselves in the business, but the community at large and how we're there to actually serve them. So I think that's that's the major differentiator right there. Mm. And Jeff? At Animiki, we like to 
think about how to incorporate indigenous values into how we operate as a business. And so we've uh, we've adopted the, the seven sacred teachings or the seven grandfather teachings out of Nimiki. And so we literally think about and talk about regularly love. How do we incorporate love in the workplace and in technology and, and the, through the technology that we build? Mm. And uh, on the note of B Corp, so I, I agree with, with Patrice. Um, I believe a lot of Indigenous entrepreneurs are operating what the B Corp movement would call a social enterprise. We were the first Indigenous B Corp in Canada and the second in North America. And we got in on our first try with like flying colors kind of thing. So uh, I think, uh, you know, when we think about business and operating things, with social impact, we, I'd like to think of it like the wings of a bird. You kind of need both. You need the financial resiliency and uh, approaches to business, but you also need the impact and giving back to community in order for that bird to kind of make some good distance and, you know, share that message with the world. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. Oh, I love that. Can I steal that, Jeff? Absolutely. <laughs> sharing. We're sharing. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to share your teaching. Absolutely. Just offer some virtual tobacco and it should be fine. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Now, Jen, uh, you have been on the show before. We we, uh, talked about how you had the beautiful dream about the little girl with the lipstick and how you wanted to give back to community. How important is giving back in your business model? It really is, I think, at the core of our brand. It's something that we've always done regardless of profits. And super proud that this year we'll be giving out um, 10 scholarships to Indigenous youth. We started off with giving back uh, to several different causes. But, I, you know, in our early days, uh, my advisors suggested we just find organizations we could support because this idea of building the scholarship fund did happen from that dream. Um, However, I set that aside for a couple of years because to take on a task like that was a, a little bit more daunting than just starting the the business side of things. And so the first year of the scholarship fund, which was 2021, we gave out one scholarship. Last year, we gave out five, and this year we're giving out 10. So wh- when I think about um, our products, and of course, so proud of those and, and the feedback we get and how we've certainly transformed, because since how we spoke in that was in, I think, 2017, Rosanna. That was like the early days. We are literally not even the same business or brand that we were back then. Uh, we, we've made so many leaps and strides in terms of, of how we operate and the kind of work that we do. And of course, yeah, giving back is at, at the root of everything we do. And and certainly the thing that makes me the most proud, even in, in you know, on those tumultuous hard times of operating a business in this economy I'm like well you know what I came out and I did what I said I was going to do and our brand has always done what we said we're going to do and 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 that was get back to community and I'm I'm certainly most proud of that why was it important for you to do that why 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 give back to the community why not just focus on building your brand so truth be told, I'm in an industry where the margins are excessively wonderful. I just heard a number, which is insane. So we know like J&J, obviously they're in beauty, also in pharma. But I literally read last, this week at the beginning of this week that their profits from last year were like $65 million. And when you understand our space and with the incredible margins that we offer, 
why wouldn't we create a business where we could use some of those to do good things and not just based on this concept of you know J and J, huge corporate responsibility organization. They've sponsored me to be at sustainable brands and event, and they're of course they do that. But I thought when we started Cheap Bone Beauty, why can't I have that from the beginning and not make it an afterthought? And I really feel in my heart that it was something that weighed on me that this is like an Anishinaabe way to be. It's always about how can we give back and how can we support our communities. And I remember my brother BJ, when I was telling him about that, he's like, oh, this is this is how our people would do it. If we had the roadmap to start businesses and companies, he's like, this is certainly how our people would do it. Mm-hmm. I got some nods there and some yes affirmations. Um, Jeff, you mentioned earlier that you align your your business with the seven teachings, which is not something that one would normally associate with a tech company. Uh, You launched your career out of Silicon Valley in the 90s. What was challenging for you about the way tech worked then? Yeah, I spent a bunch of time in Silicon Valley early in my career. It was a really wild place to be as essentially a teenager in Silicon Valley in, in big mainstream tech. And it was a very capitalistic, materialistic place and I was there for the whole dot-com boom and, and subsequent bust. And after moving back to Canada, I just wanted to support the communities um, that I was raised within uh, through technology. And so I immediately started getting our communities online, websites and software and that kind of thing. And I've been doing that for, for 20 years. And now I think, um, you know, fast forward all these many years later, we're, we're seeing the business community start to think about business just a little bit differently. Like the whole B Corp movement is like, I don't know, 10, 15 years old and indigenous peoples. We've been operating with you might call social enterprises for forever and ever. We're the first international exporters from these lands uh, through the fur trade and things like that. And and now we do it with technology and, and in cosmetics and, and all, all kinds of industries. And so um, you're seeing this kind of, I think, awakening, from the mainstream business and tech communities that there might be other ways to do business and an up and coming demographic of folks and customers that are being a little bit more conscious. It's, it's great that mainstream business uh, and technology are sort of catching up with indigenous entrepreneurs. Mm. Why was it important for you to come from that place, the, the place of the seven teaching in particular love? Because it's how I was raised. Um, I remember talking to my dad, so excited and so proud to say, you know, hey, we're we're a B Corp, we do this and that. And he's like, well, you you had no choice. Um, it's how you were raised. You were raised within these values. And so, of course, you're going to want to give back to your people and your community because it's, it's it's what we do. Mm. Patrice, how would you describe the role uh, community plays in the way Indigenous entrepreneurs do business? When I think about community, it's intrinsic to us as business owners. Without community involvement, there is no success and there is no joy in what you end up doing. So I think that that's just an understanding. It's hard to articulate. And I know Jen and I, we've been talking about how do we articulate that for people um, in a way that that makes sense, but it's, it's not an easy thing to describe. One of the things that I definitely talk about with people, though, is is the fact that you do have to have that kind of uh, community support and involvement and the reciprocity in order to to keep going on and be successful in business. 
Can you give me an example of how you've seen your business in particular impact community? Um, Jen's been such an inspiration. I don't know if I've never actually told her about this because we do a lot of the same stuff that she has always done, you know, like giving, giving in kind, uh, donating our time, things like that, and not having a direct um, a thing like a scholarship that we give to specifically. And so she's been really inspirational. So I've been really thinking about what our thing is going to be. Um, you know, we've given to res dogs and clan mothers and all these different amazing organizations. But what is it that really speaks to me? So I'm, I'm still having uh, the time to think about that. But I also, you know, think it's not just about giving to charities or things like that. It's really about how you interact with community, you know, who you hire, the kind of wages that you pay, how you respect the people that are inside your business, as well as the people that are your customers, and how available you make yourself to people who have questions, like if they want to start their own businesses. Like that is something that's really exciting to me, is the fact that I can be a resource for other Indigenous-led businesses if they have questions. Mm. What about for you, Jen? You know, I've watched your TikTok videos and I feel like community really kind of comes around for you a lot. Yeah, so, you know, of course, giving in kind and and cash and, and those things are really important. What I've learned along the way, which really touched me and was really powerful, is, you know, I've been sort of preaching this representation matters thing from the beginning And I think I didn't really understand what that really freaking would mean. Um, So we did this campaign with Sephora called Hashtag Glossed Over. And at the time, we were only in 15 locations across the country. And I went into the Eaton Center. This Sephora had paid for this giant billboard in the center of the mall. And it was our branded picture. And it said, Cheekbone Beauty now available at Sephora. So I'm sitting at the bottom of the Eaton Center sobbing because I didn't know they were going to do that. Then I get to go into the store and have an event that night. And of course, Sephora customers coming in and I'm spending time with them and sharing our blush and tips and tricks on how to apply it. And then this little Anishinaabe girl comes in and she's like 12 or 13 and she's with her mom and her auntie. But I knew like I saw them and, you know, when we see each other, we know, right? We're like looking. And of course, they had come in to visit and meet us. And I was super grateful. And this little girl already had spunk that... I couldn't imagine having at 12. And the reason I was sobbing at the bottom of the Eaton Center that morning is because when I was little, I loved going to visit my dad who lived in in Toronto at the time. Um, He didn't move back to our res until I was 14. So I'd visit him from St. Catharines and I would always want to go to the Eaton Center. But, you know, my memories of going there with him were when I thought about it, one, being accused of stealing with him at one point to like someone he was arguing with someone about a status card you know like so these aren't great memories that a 12 year old kid would be having with their dad and never in those early years of my life did I ever imagine in a million years owning a brand that is available in a store like Sephora like the largest beauty retailer in the whole entire world so when I'm driving home after that event with that family that night I'm literally in my car and I thought my goodness this is it. This is why this matters so much. Because just the fact that I've done this, accomplished this, it's actually giving kids this idea that I don't even think we fully understand as humans how on this unconscious level, 
when we see ourselves, what that really will mean for future generations. And so the fact that we've been able to push this brand so hard, so fast, so forward and put it in places that Indigenous brands have never been before um, is giving our community the ability to see themselves. And it's that whole concept of when we can see it, we can be it. And so my role now as a founder, CEO is so much bigger than just starting a business. It's literally giving people the opportunity to see themselves doing whatever the heck they want in any sort of industry they want. And we know, like, grateful that there's so many of us as entrepreneurs now in all these different industries and all these different spaces where our kids can feel seen. Mm, that's beautiful. I think we forget that, too. Like, we're so busy with our heads down in our businesses about what kind of impacts we are having. Like Satya is the very first Indigenous brand in Shoppers Drug Mart ever, like the very first, which is crazy. But at the same time, it's hopefully the first of many. And Jeff, what about for you? What, how have you seen your business impact the community in a positive way? Well, for, for us within our, our impact focus and thesis, it, it includes a, a focus on getting Indigenous people into the tech we want to see people, Indigenous peoples leading in tech uh, for, for so many reasons um, at the community level for economic development and to empower communities. And really, as I, we see tech as a path towards economic justice. And so this means we, we need more Indigenous people in tech and leading in tech the way that Indigenous peoples have always been technologists. We've always been technologists. We've always been scientists and inventors. And, and now we do it with zeros and ones and, and we build tech. And so part of that representation is as well being there to, to show young Indigenous folks that uh, there are, we have, we've got people everywhere in all, every industry, every aspect of, of business. This includes technology. Um, and so, you know, a big part of our giving back program over the years has been working with, with youth, um, teaching them how to code, how to code robots or speaking at youth conferences. And one of the stories that is dear to my heart is hearing many years later that uh, one of the students that was in our, our robot robotics coding camp that we did um, decided to go into uh, computer science at the university here. And so if it reaches one, one youth to kind of choose a career, um, then it was, it was worth it. Mm. I understand that your grandmother is a source of inspiration for you. How did her entrepreneurial spirit impact your life? So um, my late grandmother, um, she was a disabled uh, Indigenous woman. And um, it was hard for her to find work elsewhere. It was, she was turned away from schools to be able to go to school. And so turning towards uh, entrepreneurship was um, how she supported our family. And so I feel that a lot of that sort of entrepreneurial spirit within me comes through my parents, through through my grandmother and um and the kind of business that she had, it was it was working with other uh, indigenous women doing beadwork and making moccasins and kind of creating this this network to lift herself and her community up as well. So that aspect of giving back and bringing others along deeply rooted through her. Mm. Another common value among Indigenous entrepreneurs is this desire to see each other succeed, to hold each other up, to help people along that path. I'm going to get emotional because just thinking about 
uh, all the ways that uh, you three do that um, is is beautiful. If there is one piece of advice that you could give um, somebody who's listening, an indigenous youth maybe, or another mother or uh, a father, what what would help? Um, you know, that would help empower them. What would it be? Let's start. Let's start with Jen. I always give this advice about you know, just like I'm not special. Like, honestly, I am i didn't do well in school. I was a horrible student, struggled most of my life with addiction. And yet, because I finally found something that I felt empowered by, I've been able to create the life that I never dreamed about living, but has been the dream sort of thing. And the only reason that this worked is one, I will give all the glory to creator of the universe. That for me, having that connection, spending as much time as possible in nature, because that's where I feel the most close and connected. And second is just being consistent. Like every day, it was no big dramatic thing. I just woke up, knew I had to stay sober and then work on cheekbone beauty. Like, and it's of course, and then be a mom and wife and those other things at the same time. But like, I just did that every single day. And those days just added up. And they added up to the day that Sephora called and said, you're going to be in our stores. They added up to the day JC Pennyset called and 13 Loon called and said, you were going to put you in, you know, 609 locations. Those consistent days just will add up. And Patrice? Yeah, it, you know, there is nothing saying that you cannot be own your own business and be successful at it. Absolutely. You know, I thought that I would never open a business. It was never something that was inspirational to me that I had any drive to at all because my perception of business was actually pretty negative. But then I decided that I was going to make a business dependent on my values. And Jen and I almost have an identical story. I literally dropped out of high school. I did go back and finish, did not go to university. Um, you know, I don't have any of this like business background, whatever. Um, I'm terrible at math, like <laughs> all of these things that you think that you have to have <laughs> to have a business. No, you just find people who love the things that you don't and you bring them together and build, build a team. Um, you can do this. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that says... Um, that you can't. And if you have somebody who says you shouldn't, just stop hanging out with them. Honestly, find your people, people like Jeff and Jen and myself, and reach out to us and have, you know, and, and let's build community together because there is no reason whatsoever why you can't be doing anything that you want to. Mm. And last but certainly not least, Jeff. Yeah, I agree on uh, the values piece for, for Indigenous entrepreneurs and, and thinking about competitors as well like what i see within the indigenous entrepreneurship community is um opportunities to to lift each other up to maybe not see each other as competitors but potential collaborators i see that uh, it's huge in the indigenous business community a lot of my closest friends today that uh you know i'm connected with their families going back you know a decade or more thinking when i first met these folks I, we could have seen each other as competitors but um, it's more how do we collaborate, how do we lift each other up, how do we build that community. So whenever there's, you know, new folks that come in to say Indigenous technologists, like we we welcome them, we want to partner, we want to connect because we want more people in Indigenous tech. So why would we compete in that kind of thing? So how, how can we lift each other up and just think more uh, longer term and building community and thinking seven generations, uh, the impacts of our work. 
Mm. Jeff, Patrice, Jen, thank you so much for this conversation. It's so inspirational. I might just have to start a business. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe selling poetry on the corner, but I'm, I'm doing it. You heard it here first. <laughs> All good. Reach out. Rosanna will talk. But actually, if anybody else wants to chat, uh, LinkedIn, best place to reach. Yeah. Absolutely, LinkedIn. Same. Thank you all so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rosanna. Jen Harper is an Anishinaabe and a member of the Northwest Angle Number no. 33 First Nation in Kenora, Ontario. Patrice Musso is a member of Fort William First Nation. And Jeff Ward is an Anishinaabe and Métis. This is Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. Next, we head to a Peterborough, Ontario print shop where James Hodgson creates his original t-shirts. From Orange Shirt Day to the Seven Grandfather Teachings and custom shirts for local charities, Nish Tees is paying it forward with style. James gave unreserved producer Rhiannon Johnson a tour of the shop and showed her how he makes his retro tees and what inspires his 80s throwback designs. My name is James Hodgson and I am Loon Clan from White Sand First Nation and I am the owner of Nish Tees in Peterborough. I have been in business for eight years now. I think we started in 2016. So yeah, wow. You know, in the eighties, t-shirts were rad. Uh, they, they, you know, totally like it was garbage pail kids and like mad magazine, like everybody was taking stuff and messing with it. And it was hilarious. I've been screen printing since I went to I went to Trent University and, and picked up screen printing with a, a friend as a part-time job. It was just so reliable. There's a lot of, there was a lot of print shops around uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s. So lots of places to work and not a lot of people that had screen printing experience. So, you know, it was a kind of a niche market and I was, I was a shoe in. Coming out and breaking out and starting my, starting out my own thing started really small and worked out of my apartment and partnered with, uh, places that I was, I had worked at in the past so I could go into their place on weekends and, you know, use their space. I was doing overflow printing. So when they got busy, I, they'd call me in and I'd, you know, go in at the crack of dawn and, and, you know, get them up to speed. But this this type of business is is really sc- as scalable as you want it to be, right? It can be a side hustle. And you can do it out of your basement or whatever spare room, den or whatever. This is just a screen that I'm going to put onto the press. We do a lot of local stuff, so we do a lot of uh, high schools, a lot of Trent University stuff. Uh, then there's uh, across the country, right? So we've got stuff in people in BC and. Alberta with our orange shirt sales and the interest in orange shirt day with each passing year, we're getting more corporate requests for orders, which opens the door for, for other stuff. Right. So we've done large clients like, uh, Ontario power generation. It was a recent one. We've done stuff with Danny Winjack fund, uh, inspire. There is that interest at a corporate level 
that kind of uh, reconciliation, um, which is basically it's an exchange of fun, a trickle down of funds, right? So we get it, and then what do we do with it? We we give it away. What we do with all our orange shirt day stuff, whether it's corporate sales or sales from our website, is we do a fundraiser every year with that stuff. Like last year, we did I think four or five different fundraisers for different, you know, with different products on our website. It's not about just making the money. It's about making sure that the people that need it get something out of it as well. Um, so, you know, with our orange shirt stuff, we do try to keep it to like an indigenous cause. I'm staying in a river and money is the water. I'm just grabbing some out, giving it to whoever needs it. You know, I don't need a ton of money to live. I've been there. I've been homeless. Uh, and if you can go somewhere and get warm for half an hour and get a, a meal or some food, that's great. That's a, a game changer, right? It's not something I really want to go back to in my life. But uh, I understand and, and respect the people that are going through that for whatever reason. It was a teenager, so basically, was couch surfing a lot, uh, not really working out with my my family. I was adopted. I was adopted into a non-indigenous non indigenous family um, in a, in an affluent suburb of Toronto. So, you know, there's a little bit of a compounded kind of uh, thing going on there um, and yeah like just rebelling rebelling really hard and not getting along with my family leaving the house uh, couch surfing sometimes it worked out sometimes it didn't sometimes I'd sleep in a playground sometimes I'd just stay up all night at Tim Hortons it was open 24 hours you know so I know, I know those, I know those, those options, those bleak options, right? Um, and you know, I've got a roof over my head. We've got whatever food we want to eat, that kind of stuff. So I've got three great little kitties. So, you know, yeah, that's what more do I need from that? I want to just kind of get people into a better position to, you know, get a good solid meal when you're homeless, like they can do, it can make, be a game changer for sure. Right. Make you make a good decision instead of a poor decision. The point of living in a community, I think is to make sure that everyone is good. Right. I mean, if you're not doing that, why are you here? So that's again, with the giving part is that's just, should just be it. You know, like, mob movies where you're always giving your cut to the boss you know the, my boss is the people that need help that's just a little bit of taxation that I do to myself to keep myself sane James Hodgson is Anishinaabe and the owner of Nish Teas in Peterborough, Ontario that's all our time on Radio Indigenous this episode was produced by Rhiannon Johnson, Kim Kasher, Laura Bone Steubing, and Zoe Tennant. I'm your favorite cousin, Rosanna Deerchild, coming at you from Winnipeg in Treaty One territory. Ego say.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.